Gather round, the witching hour draws near. I'm your haunted host, animation industry artist, witch, and overall spooky enthusiast, Jenny Calabro. Come with me as we venture into the spooky realm of entertainment and real-life ghosties in this episode of A Jaunty Haunt. Hello, spooks and specters. Thank you for joining me yet again for another episode of A Jaunty Haunt. Today, I have a wonderfully fun, silly episode with a wonderfully fun, silly animator. Worthy Kids, a.k.a. Ian Worthington, joined me today to talk about Mad Monster Party? Question mark? That's literally how it's written. Question mark? A stop-motion Rankin-Bass movie. This film is just wild. Made in 1967, it's got some fun animation and some really wacky storytelling, let me tell you. With that being said, I hope you all enjoy this episode. Welcome back, spooks and specters, to yet another exciting episode of A Jaunty Haunt. Today we have a very special guest talking about something really, really fun and absolutely wild, which I've never watched before, and that is Mad Monster Party. It's absolutely mad, just like the title says. It's got Boris Karloff. It's got Phyllis Diller. It was made in 1967. There's only like four different voice actors for the entire film. It's wild. And here to talk with me is our guest, who I'll let them introduce themselves. Hello, my name's Ian Worthington, a.k.a. Worthy Kids. I am a YouTube animator and a big Rankin Bass fan. Awesome. I'm so excited that you agreed to come on and talk about Rankin Bass, especially because uh, I have never watched anything Rankin Bass until now. Ever? Ever. <laughs> That's fair enough. I know a lot of people look at me and they're like, not even Rudolph? No, not even Rudolph. I'm sorry. That, that makes sense. I mean, where, where are those even shown? I think my parents had to get them on DVD to show it to us. Maybe they're on TV, though. I don't know. But Yeah, when I was a kid, I know, I know they always played it on the holiday season channels and stuff whenever, you know, the holidays came around. But I just, I don't know. I never watched them. <laughs> so for anybody who hasn't seen Mad Monster Party, let me give you a quick rundown as best as I can about this one hour, 30 minute long film. Essentially, Boris Karloff, who plays Boris von Frankenstein, has created this new ultimate weapon, I guess you could call it. It's just an antimatter-like liquid. Essentially, he decides he's going to throw a monster party, invite all of his monster friends to reveal this grand new thing that he has invented. And at this party, he has also invited one human character who's his nephew. And he plans to reveal to everyone that his nephew will be taking over the monster business. So they invite all the monsters, the monsters show up. When he announces that he is going to have this uh, passing of the torch, he doesn't say who it is yet. And his nephew hasn't shown up yet, who's a total klutz and he's adorable and he's got glasses. Just a regular old kid. And the monsters aren't happy because they find out from his assistant, Francesca, this big boobied lady who's just gorgeous, <laughs> that uh, she's not happy either because this human boy is going to get everything. So she teams up with Dracula and the other monsters to try to take him out of the picture before this poor kid Felix even knows what's happening. So Felix shows up. 
he doesn't know anything about the monsters. And the whole time when he first arrives, Francesca and Dracula are trying to get him, can't get him. It's comedy ensues, very, very spoopy humor. And his uncle, you know, reveals to him that he wants him to take over the business. He's not really sure about it. And in the mix-up, Francesca just happens to fall essentially in his lap as he quote-unquote saves her and she falls madly in love with him. <laughs> and the, as you can tell, it's just getting wilder and wilder. And by the end, she decides she's going to help him escape the island because she has called in it, as they refer to, uh, who turns out to be a King Kong monster who comes and attacks the island. And when all hope seems lost, Francesca is captured. The monsters have been captured all by it. Boris von Frankenstein shows up and says, it's okay, I got this. Spoiler alert, things get even more wild than I could have ever imagined. Uh, <laughs> uh, Felix's nephew gets away with Francesca on a boat, and as they're leaving, uh, Boris von Frankenstein gets mad at it, the King Kong-like monster, uh, for wrecking his party, then gets mad at the monsters for being, you know, jealous and stupid and... Uh, wanting to take control of everything, and he drops his ultimate weapon and blows them all to smithereens, <laughs> completely yes. out of the water. Fireworks ensues. Then on the boat, we see a, a moment with Felix and Francesca having a little romance where Felix says he's going to marry her. Francesca reveals that she too is a creation made by Boris von Frankenstein, and the last lines of Felix indicates that he's possibly a robot creation as well. Ooh, yes. It was so spoopy. So that's just a quick rundown. Let's get into it. First of all, when did you first watch Mad Monster Party? It would have been, I think, five or six years ago. Um, I, I had seen... So this is a thing among Rankin Bass fans. Every Rankin Bass fan I've talked to, I've been like, you know, have you seen Mad Monster Party? They're like, what is that? Oh, wow. Nobody's heard of this film. Even dedicated Rick and Best fans are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, they're Halloween film. They're like, huh? They're what? Um, I, I'm not sure why. I think it's because people avoid it because it's really boring. And I think it's it's also because it's so long. People just kind of... I, 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 but that didn't explain why people don't know why it exists. That's very odd. I, I heard about it because I saw someone post a GIF from it. Or, or a GIF or whatever. And it's of like some skeletons dancing. I'm like, that looks like Rankin Bass. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh, it's a, a whole Halloween movie? Why haven't I heard of this? This sounds amazing. Oh, wow. I had no idea that it was just so underground, even for fans of, of media. Yeah, it's weirdly obscure. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and uh, people talk about, uh, like, part of the inspiration for Nightmare Before Christmas was, I think Tim Burton said he wanted to make a Rankin-Bass-style stop-motion special, but instead of being about Christmas, it'd be about Halloween. And it's like, they did try that. Nobody really <laughs> liked it, but they did try that. So it has happened. That's wild. Like, like I said, I've never seen Rankin-Bass. I've seen, you know, clips and stuff. So it was really cool finally getting to watch something, but I had no idea it was just such a unknown project. It's funny because when I did a little bit of research, everything online says it's you know, one of those like cult classic hidden Rankin Bass films, and I didn't understand what that meant. So that that makes a lot more sense. Yes, I, I will say, amazing job summarizing the film. I'm 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 amazed that you understood what was happening because I've 
still struggle to understand the plot of this film. Barely, barely. <laughs> <laughs> like you, the, you made it sound like a movie with like a beginning and a middle and an end, but it, it really isn't that. It's 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 like this drawn out weird sketch. It's very seventies in like the slow pacing and the kind of absurdist humor that isn't really funny. At least I didn't think it was. It's very odd. Oh, absolutely. It's funny because as I was watching it, I was like, going into it, they had such a fun idea. Yes. But then like partway through, I was like, what happened to the plot? What's yeah. going on? Oh, it's such a, it's a very strong start. Every time I start the film, I'm like, maybe I'm, I know I, I, I say I don't like this film, but I'm starting again and it's so beautiful and like, maybe it's good. And yeah. then, and then <laughs> I, for me, it's when Phyllis Diller, who was, great oh, but she yeah. sings her song which is not yeah. a very well-written song i don't think and the way it transitions in the song is so like soul-sucking like oh a music a musical number right now okay 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 <laughs> and it's like oh I, he's different uh, ha, ha, ha. and it's like what's going on guys how long is the song it really it, it takes the momentum that song got me yes i was like what is this song even it's just like her saying that her mate who's the monster frankenstein's monster is different and i'm like what is this telling us what is the point what is the the plot being told to us in this song because usually in musical numbers there there's some sort of story plot that's happening even in other musical numbers in the film they have yeah. a reason but this one was just like it's phyllis diller and she's singing and it's like cool cool <laughs> speaking of phyllis this was something i had to look up because i think i'd heard of phyllis diller but i i'm i'm, I'm a little too young to like know her exact lore and I, I was very confused by the fact that the Frankenstein monster is not called Frankenstein or Frank or anything. He's called Fang. Yeah. Throughout the whole film. And I'm like, why is he called Fang? And I looked it up and it's like, that's what Phyllis Diller calls her fictional husband in her stand-up routine. So like Phyllis Diller fans would just know that and be like, ha ha ha, she's, that's Fang. And it's like, I don't know that. <laughs> it's, it's such a called shot to be like, you know, for the Phyllis Diller fans. Fang. Yes. And... It's the same thing with the the overdone Peter Lorre uh, oh. impersonation, which first, before we go too much further, I do want to say this for anybody who hasn't seen the film. Obviously, this film was made in 1967, so there are a lot of problematic issues with this film. There's, you know, a lot of sexist stuff. There's a lot of leering over Francesca, lots of leering, especially by Yetch, who is the Peter Lorre character. Yes. He's very creepy. And <laughs> <laughs> and then there's uh, a lot of, like, really bad stereotypes. Um, and one of the things with Peter Lorre, I had to look this up because I was like, who is this character? Because it wasn't until I watched this that I was like, who is this stereotype character that I've seen in, like, Looney Tunes yeah, and yeah. a million other things? I, I had no idea who this was. Looked up Peter Lorre, and it's like... It's really interesting because, like, I can see what they were trying to do with this film. So Peter Lorre is known for playing creeps, just absolute yeah, creepy yeah. people. And so I'm like, okay, I understand that. And he has such a distinctive voice. He's got that, I think, a yeah. French accent with this, like, hello there. <laughs> he's like, I think it's said he's from, oh gosh, I'm probably going to be wrong. I think it's, like, Germany. I don't, I don't remember where he's from. That could be it. That could be it. This is future ghost Jenny coming to warn past Jenny that she was correct in being wrong. Hi, it's your ghost host, Jenny. I'm here to let you know that the actor Peter Lorre is Hungarian-American 
who started his career in Vienna and then moved to Germany. You're welcome, past Jenny. Yeah, he's he's got that distinct voice, but I was like, there was one part in this movie where he gets pretty much flicked by King Kong into space, and he says, oi vey, and I was like, why is he saying oi vey? And then I looked it up, and apparently Peter Lorre is Jewish, and I was like, ah. Well, what? well, I didn't I didn't I never even caught that line. It's so hard to tell what he's saying sometimes because the actor yeah. and we'll get into that. The actor, because it, it is just one actor. It's <laughs> one dude doing everybody <laughs> except for like t- two, three characters. He's doing he's yeah, and he's doing mainly impressions. He's not doing original mm-hmm. voices. It's like primary impressions. And a lot of them aren't very good. Like they're I've heard way better Peter Lorre's than that. I mean, not to mention just the real Peter Lorre, but it's not a great impression. And for such an odd decision for Felix, he's clearly attempting a Jimmy Stewart impression. Yes. And yes. And, and Felix is even set in a drugstore kind of similar to Jimmy Stewart's character in It's a Wonderful Life. But there, I don't know why, and it doesn't it doesn't really dwell on that. Like, why is he in a drugstore? It's kind of like it's Wonderful Life. I actually watched like a making of right before we got on this call, and they were talking about their, you know, uh, so the person who does the voice acting, their name is Alan Swift, and they were talking about, yeah, Alan's great. You know, he does all these amazing impersonations, and they even said that is who Alan was referencing for Felix. And I was just like, but why? Because they don't but say why, why they, they made those choices. I was like, but why? And they're like, it's great. And I'm like, I guess it's fun. I guess it's just to make him seem really innocent and like cinnamon roll, like precious. I'm a little against having this specific thing of having one voice actor voice a ton of characters, especially if they're main characters, because I think characters in cartoons should have their own dedicated vo- voice actors most of the time uh, that especially if they're main characters, because I think what happens, and I think it happens with Felix, is it becomes very dehumanized, at least to me. He doesn't feel nearly as human as, like, Francesca does, because it's clearly just a, a guy doing one of ten voices, and it's like, I don't know. I, I think it detracts a lot from the film that he's not... He doesn't feel enough like a person to me. He just feels like, ah, oh, that's a weird Jimmy Stewart impression. He just feels like literally the butt of the joke character because he just so doesn't fit in with anybody and is just so like this weak, feeble human compared to all these like fantastical monsters. So like I said, uh, we have four voice actors total throughout this whole film. Yes. We have uh, Gail Garrett is Francesca. We have Boris Karloff as Baron Boris von Frankenstein. And then Phyllis Diller, as we mentioned, as the monster's mate. And then Alan Swift does everyone else. That everyone is else. Everyone. <laughs> Anyone who appears on screen and talks, that's, that's him. And I was just like, what the? I, I, I think it may have just been like cost effective. Like they spent so much money on like Boris Karloff and Phyllis Diller that they're like, well, we've got Alan and Alan can do everything. So yeah, uh, let's, let's just do that. <laughs> on the one hand, it's slightly impressive because I didn't know he was voicing that main characters. But on the other hand, I just, I really, again, I think it adds so much humanity to have a dedicated voice for each character and not just one person doing all these voices. I like his Dracula. Dracula is one of my favorite characters in the film. I think he's, he's very electric. Like, a character opens a door and he, he pops up and he winks and he goes, how do you do? And it's just, <laughs> he's, he's so fun. I, it's, it's one of my favorite like cartoon Draculas. Oh, really? Yes. I, th- I, I really like the design. I mean, it's very traditional, but it's like, I think it's the best version of the traditional like ripoff of Bela design, but he's got this like monocle and stuff. 
I, I love all of the character designs in this movie. I, I forget who did them. Um, Jack Davis. Jack Davis. They're really good designs. Um, They're fun. And the puppets themselves just look amazing. I think the film is so beautiful. It almost, it almost makes it worth watching. But <laughs> I gotta say, speaking of the puppets, uh, in the behind the scenes that I watched, apparently each puppet was $5,000 to make. Each wow. single puppet. And I was like, oh my lord. And even they were saying, you know, it's not like how Nightmare Before Christmas was, where it's like, oh, we've got multiple puppets for multiple scenes, and we can just duplicate da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, oh, Oh, that's so much money. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. That that I I didn't know that. That's wild. I know that compared to this is not. It's interesting that this is your first Rankin Bass because this is not at all indicative of like any other Rankin Bass film. Oh, really? It's kind of the style is slightly similar, but the set design is nothing like any other Rankin Bass film, and the pacing is nothing like Rankin Bass. It's not written by their guy. Their guy is Romeo Muller. He writes all of their good films. But he didn't write this one. This one was written by Mad Magazine creator. What's his name? What? It's written by the creator of Mad Magazine, uh, Harvey Kurtzman, with help from someone named Len Koropkin, who I don't know who that is. But Harvey Kurtzman is the creator of Mad Magazine, as well as uh, he did a like a pornographic comic for Playboy, which I feel uh, like influences the film a little. Well, Francesca. Yeah. The whole film is much more adult than any other Rankin-Bass film. Like, there's kind of adult jokes. Also, just the writing in Rankin-Bass films is not, is not like this at all. Like, this film is filled with these, in my opinion, awkward puns and, like, wordplay that is really confusing at times. Like, there's a line... I, I wrote this down. There's a line where um, uh, Boris says, Last time it was here... I'm paraphrasing. He was a crushing boar. He was crushing boars with his bare hands. And it's like, what a weird <laughs> wordplay. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, that one was strange. The one that stood out to me, which actually made me laugh because it was just so dumb, but I loved it. And I'm going to say this to the listeners, because if anybody here has listened to me talk about the Scooby-Doo uh, werewolf episode with Josh, my friend, we just tore that movie apart, but we love it. And so I'm going to say I did enjoy this, but it was like bad, but it's a bad good. So <laughs> one of the lines that got me is there's a part where Yetch is telling the zombies to get into their planes to go like fly around the island and just like keep guard. And he's trying to get the plane to start. And then when the plane finally starts, he yells, fly, zombie bird man. And I don't know why, <laughs> but that just slayed me. I was like, what? That one is good. You're right. That one is good. I, I feel like some of the wordplay where it, I, I get it, but it takes me a second to get it. Like, um, I, I can't remember a lot of them, but it's 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 very it's clearly um, I want to say it's like very writery. Like it's someone who is looking at a script and thinking this is a clever script and not thinking this will make for good cartooning. Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So it's funny because uh, you had mentioned how earlier how long this film is. And it's it's an hour, 30 minutes. It's four hours long. No. <laughs> It feels really long. It, it, to me, it definitely felt like two hours. But I will say, compared to like watching the Scooby-Doo uh, werewolf one, that I literally, I, I tried so hard just to get through it. And it felt like three hours. And it was just, I felt like I wanted to just like pass out and like just sleep for days after watching that one. This one was a bit better. I was like, okay, so this isn't like 
Such a slog. This is another big difference between this and any other rank of S film. This is, I believe, their only feature-length stop-motion film. Most of their shorts are 40 minutes to 50 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes. And the pacing is, it, it's like breakneck speed compared to this. This is molasses. And I don't know why it's either the writing or that they wanted to get it to an hour 30 that they kind of stretched it out. I have the answer. So I'm glad oh. you said that. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay. So I didn't know that other Rankin-Bass projects were only 40 minutes long because that makes a lot of sense because there are parts in this film that I'm like, why, why are we watching this? Why is this scene <laughs> like three minutes long when it should only be like one minute long? Like to give everybody you know, an idea. There is a part, like I said earlier, where Yetch is in this room with the zombies, getting them into planes, but there's really no story purpose for it. It's just kind of like, okay, well, we're here and there's gags happening. And then again, when the monster party happens, right after uh, Boris von Frankenstein makes his announcement, a bone band comes out and they play a song which has the same line over and over and over which is just it's the mummy, it's the mummy. i, <laughs> I wrote the down mummy. The, the name of the band or what i i think it was because it's hard to hear what they say but i believe the band is called tibia and fib and the fibulous yes yeah. yes <laughs> and i actually really enjoyed that until it went on for about two to three minutes yeah, and i was like yeah. we have been on this for way too long and then the scene with the really, really terrible stereotype Italian chef that Yetch is talking oh, yeah. to, where he's preparing the meal. So those three scenes that don't really serve any point to the story, anything at all, those for sure, according to the making of behind the scenes, those were added in because the executive producer, Joseph E. Levine, said that he didn't want it to be short in 40 minutes he wanted it to be a oh. full feature length so oh, he no. went in and told them yeah he told them to add additional scenes to pad out the film and arthur rankin was not happy about it and he thought it would it, it made it way too long so that would explain why there's just like there's some parts where there's there's even another part where it the king kong monster comes oh, yeah. and is about to attack the castle, but for like we hold on him for like two minutes, just standing around, yeah, just kind of yeah. like gesturing. He like an alligator like grabs his finger and then he knocks it off and then he and then he like kind of knocks down part of the castle. It takes yeah like two minutes. It takes a yeah, it takes way too long, and I think that's why I think they were just padding it out to try to meet this executive producer's request of making it an hour thirty. All of those scenes are really sluggish, but I'm surprised you haven't mentioned what to me is like. It, it's the one scene that like sums up the whole problem with the film, which is it's all of the monsters. It's it's a I've never seen a film attempt this before, where it just shows two of the monsters trying to sleep, and one of them is keeping the yes! other one up by yes! like snoring. What was with that? <laughs> yeah, the other monster like quiets them down or like does something to quiet them down, and then it fades to black. And then it fades to two different monsters sleeping. Yes. And they just play off the same scene, I think, four times. And yes. it's like, what are you doing? This is wild. <laughs> I had that same thought. I was like, what is it? What purpose does this serve? Like, doing it once? Great gag. That's funny. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We, they're hung over after, you know, yeah, a yeah, yeah. boxing party. A party that turned into a complete brawl. And they show them, like, kind of hung over and, like, sleeping in their rooms. Which, by the way... Almost every monster is not sleeping in the bed that is in the room. They're sleeping like on the floor. And I thought that was very wasteful. I was like, yes. why would you why would you model these little tiny beds and not put your, you know, characters in them? But 
yeah, doing doing one gag with, you know, one pair of monsters, great. But then they did it like four more times. And I was like, why are we here? <laughs> the, the baffling impressions. Um, Yetch, it's, it's clearly meant to be a Peter Lorre character, but this is an interesting wrinkle, I think. Horror, horror media loves to have a Peter Lorre impression in it, but the character is almost always Igor. It's always a hunchbacked Igor character doing a Peter Lorre impression, which is... An odd thing on its own, because Peter Lurie never played Igor. There's, like, a whole history of how that happened, that whole, like, misunderstanding. But on top of that, so they have him in it, and he's not an Igor-type character. But he is wearing, I think, the exact outfit he wears in Casablanca, which I don't know why. Why would he be wearing that? And he's, a, <laughs> like, a zombie, but he has, like, moon-like craters on his head. His head looks like a moon. Yeah, I was weird. I was trying to figure out like what he was and everything online. And I think at one point they even refer to him as a zombie. And I was like, what makes him a zombie? Because the other <laughs> zombies don't look like him. And I was like, okay, which also brings me to another point. So I think the reason why he's wearing the white outfit compared to the other zombies who are like bellhops is to kind of make him seem like he like when you go up to a really fancy hotel and there's like one person who kind of runs the front desk and like snaps his fingers and then like four bellhops appear. Right, right, I think right. that was kind of his role, which I wanted to point out. I feel like Hotel Transylvania was heavily inspired by this movie. And I never yes. like it blew my mind. So there's I was going to make a point of this. There's a joke where they throw a pie at the invisible man's face. And the pie reveals yes! the contour of his face. Yes! And he's got this like big nose. And Yetch is like, oh, you're so ugly, which is weird. But it's his, the contour of his face looks exactly like the current day Invisible <gasps> Man form that he takes on in the latest Hotel Transylvania, which is so odd. I don't know if they've seen it or if it's a coincidence, but it's, it's very odd. I was good. As soon as that, I'm so glad you said that. Oh, my God. <laughs> as soon as that happened in the movie, I was like, holy, holy crap, this is. This is literally like what happens in the new like yes. Hotel Transylvania. Like they they reveal what the Invisible Man looks like, and he's like not attractive, and everybody assumed he would be like really attractive because you can fill in the blank. And so yeah. I was just like, wow, I really feel like they took a lot of inspiration, which is funny because I had a professor who worked on Hotel Transylvania who had told our class like Hotel Transylvania is nothing like the original idea and the original script, and then. Adam Sandler came in and a bunch of comedy writers came in and they completely overhauled the story to what it is now. So I'm like, I wonder if those people who came in and like overhauled the story were like, wouldn't it be great if we like did a Mad Monster Party inspired? Uh, that could be possible. But I also think a lot of these jokes are so like, they feel just like you ask any comedy dude, like, do a monster joke. It'd be like, I don't know, Invisible Man's ugly. It's like, I feel like it could be a coincidence. Because they're they're just not very clever jokes. See, for me, it was it was having zombies being bellhops. I was like, okay, well, You're, hotel that does so that, specific. but that's yeah, that's like okay, well, that's that's an easy you know check check the box you know. But with uh, Dracula is like besties with Wolfman and even calls him Wolfie, which he does in Hotel. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then I didn't notice that. You're right. Yeah, and then they're also at this mad monster party, but it's kind of treated like a hotel and all of them are visiting like You're one right. person who's like <laughs> in charge of all the monsters. And I was like, this feels like hotel was like, what if we just did this, but it was Dracula instead of, you know, Dr. Frankenstein. Boris, and yeah. yeah. And instead of like a party, it's no, this guy runs a hotel and all monsters come to it. So I was like, 
I, I really want to talk to somebody who worked on the first film and be like, please tell me, was somebody inspired by this? Like, it's just so, oh man. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting. One very wild impression that Alan Swift does is for The Invisible Man, he's clearly doing a Claude Rains impression, who is the original actor who played the, the Invisible Man in the film, which it's a very distinctive voice, but I don't hear, like, when, if people parody The Invisible Man, they kind of leave the Claude Rains part out. And I feel like I feel like it's a generational thing that maybe in the 60s, I mean, I think The Invisible Man came out, I think the... 40s or 50s so i bet it was fresher in the public consciousness like oh yeah he has he has this like voice he's like blah, 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 blah. He's this, very, <laughs> this very distinctive <laughs> voice so i gotta ask who's your favorite you, you said dracula is your favorite character but what's your favorite musical monster number oh musical design. i thought you're gonna say my favorite monster design and monster design my favorite monster design bar none is mr hyde i love the way he looks i think it's an yes. amazing character design Yes, he's so fun. Doc, Dr. Jekyll's fine. He does a weird thing, which they never do, which is Rankin-Bass characters have set top lips and then they swap out the bottom lip. But Dr. Jekyll is the only puppet I've ever seen where his bottom lip is set and they swap out his top lip. But because his jaw is so jutted forward, you can't see his top lip moving and it doesn't look like he's talking at all, which is... A yes! I noticed that too. It's an odd decision. I was like, okay, I love the style of this character's head and face and like the mouth shape is wonderful. But when I first saw him, I was like, how are they going to make that mouth work? And then later I was like, ooh, I don't think they really figured it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love, he looks so, he looks way cooler as Mr. Hyde. And I, I just, <laughs> I take a lot of inspiration from that design when I'm designing some more characters. I just love it. Um, but my favorite musical number, easily, hands down. So one of my favorite I said I like Dracula because he's very charming, but I think the best character in the film is easily Francesca, and it's very much thanks thanks to Gail Garnet, who gives I think the best voice acting performance in the film, and she's the best singer. Yes. And her her song um, "Never Was a Love Like Mine" is the best song in the movie easily. It's so good. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love that song. It has this beautiful um, classical guitar intro. Well, a, a, a lot of the songs kind of just open with the brass there's so many like jazzy brassy songs in this film and i think it's a little overwhelming see it's funny because my favorite musical number also has her singing but it's the song it's our time to shine because that got stuck in my head on the loop after i finished it's very catchy it's so catchy i'm i'm happy with that one too because again it's her singing and and she is a, a singer she had a number one hit in the 60s i wrote this down uh we'll sing in the sunshine in 1966 gail garnett had this grammy winning hit and i think that's why they put her in the film because she was kind of like an up-and-coming pop star although i i don't think she had a, another hit afterward but at the time it was like oh who, who's this and she's born in new zealand but raised in canada which is an interesting combo because in the film she doesn't she doesn't have a new zealand accent or a canadian accent she has a mid-atlantic accent like the kind of hello there that kind of you know <laughs> the like old-timey voice mm -hmm. very sultry very hollywood yeah but yes i think i think she has the two best musical numbers in the film um i, I feel like the musical number that drains me the most is either it's the mummy or um or phyllis stewart's i really like phyllis stewart's vocal performance but her song is very poorly written it's not good yeah yeah it's 
the I, I agree. Those two songs were were rough. And it's funny because I liked It's the Mummy, but when it just kept going and there was no lyric change, I was like, all right, well, this was fun when it started. <laughs> I like their design that they're skeletons with these like I a uh, bowl cut or by page cut hairdos. They're they all have identical Yeah, kind of like the Beatles. Yeah, kind of Beatlesy. What did you think of that ending? Because if someone were to tell me halfway through the film, pause it and say, Jenny, where do you think this movie is going? How do you think it's going to end? I would not have guessed that Baron von you know, Frankenstein was going to blow everyone away. It, it, to me, the ending feels very, I, I would say it feels very 70s and that a lot of 70s films, I swear, have they meander so much and they feel very long and then they get to the end and the end is almost always screw everything, get rid of it all. Not necessarily always an explosion, but it's always something really chaotic that just, like, it feels very disrespectful of the whole film. Like, none of this matter. Just go away. It's, it's the 70s. We're tired. It's, there's maybe a, a secret meaning here. Maybe not. We don't care. And it's like, oh, wow, this is this is a bummer. Why did everyone blow up? Yeah. Yeah, I was really shocked. I think halfway through the film, when I thought there was still a plot that they were trying to stick with, I thought for sure it was going to be, okay, you know, Felix is going to turn it down. And, you know, if anything, Francesca's going to get it. And I always knew, like, from the get-go, I was like, Francesca's got to be a monster because she's the only one on the island who seems human. So I was like, it's going to be revealed that she's a monster. She's going to be like a Medusa or something or some sort of succubus. And then she's going to be the one to get it instead of anybody else. And that'll be it. And so when it turned into, you know, she falls in love with Felix, by the way, listeners, how she falls in love with Felix oh. is <laughs> the worst. Um, he saves her from the crocodiles in the moat gets her to shore and she starts to have a breakdown blaming Felix for everything. Uh, not grateful at all for being saved. And then he slaps her because he's like, pull yourself together. And she's like, Oh, Felix. He says she's hysterical. He used the word. Yes. Hysterical, which was hysterical. very <laughs> And, and so he slaps her and she's like, Oh, Felix. And then he's like, you're still hysterical. And like, slaps her again and she's like oh my and i was like really slapping is gonna be the thing <laughs> it's very unpleasant i dislike the idea i enjoy almost any moment with her because again the voice actress is so good she almost sells these horrible scenes but n maybe not quite <laughs> <laughs> it stinks because i i really enjoyed that she was kind of like plotting and like pitting everybody against you each other you know she she really is the reason why all the monsters get into a huge brawl at the party and the reason why everything goes to hell but then she also like escapes like completely unscathed and it's like okay but she was so much fun uh she had a lot of life compared to some of the other characters who i felt like were just kind of there in the background like oh gosh the creature in the black lagoon has like a gag barely barely yeah and i was like oh that's unfortunate yeah, especially because the design is so fun and the, the puppet is really well done. And I was like, that's it? You just, just a background character? <laughs> Francesca, almost to add to her having the most depth, she's the only character who changes outfits. I think she has three or maybe four outfit changes in this movie. And they all look really great. They're cool design. She has like a safari outfit and like a green dress. And they all look very cool. But nobody else, I don't think, ever changes their clothes. I think the only other person is the monster's mate who has like two outfits but you're right yeah i didn't even realize oh my gosh they had to make outfits for for her puppet 
That's so much work. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's a detail I never noticed before. In this recent rewatch, I was intentionally trying to pay attention and take notes. And I noted something very odd, which is there's a close up at one point of, of Boris von Frankenstein's feet. And you can see the puppet is wearing lifts, like very pronounced, very big lifts on the bottom of his black shoe. And I was like, it's a puppet. Why is he wearing lifts? And I'm not certain this is the reason, but I know Boris wore very, very tall lifts when he played Frankenstein or when he played the monster. And I think it's just an homage to that, which is a very cool but weird detail. That's what I thought, too, because I, I was like, OK, obviously, they're like trying to make this look like Boris Karloff. And yeah, that would make sense if that's what they were trying to do. But it is it is kind of funny because it's like, oh, you don't have to do that. It's a puppet. You can make it however you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At one point, Boris does say he implies that the Wright brothers were secretly of the Frankenstein family, which is not particularly funny or interesting. And I don't know why he says that. <laughs> I guess it ties into why they have all the planes. Mm -hmm. And they, they only really have the planes so that they can have the battle with it at the end. Although it's not really a battle. They just kind of fly around his head and then he catches them. Yeah, just, just a King Kong. Which is funny because I'm pretty sure the EP worked on king kong or he i know he worked on godzilla king of the monsters for sure oh like, wow he was the one who he brought it out to america apparently so that's why i'm like okay i i can see why they're like we got to get a kaiju in there because our ep you know he worked on these kaiju movies <laughs> it, what's amazing about the it puppet is it looks like it might just be a, a small puppet that they're filming to kind of look big but then you see the puppet holding the little you know the normal character puppets and it's clearly in the same shot and it's like oh that's a huge puppet they must have made it like ginormous i was wondering the same thing because when i first saw like they show it peeking into the castle and looking at the castle and i was like okay this is just like they they made miniature models for probably a slightly larger puppet. And then at the end, when he's holding all the other puppets, I was like, wait, yeah, you're, 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 I'm like <laughs> zooming in. I'm like, I'm like, is that the same ones? Do they have little versions? And I'm pretty sure they did not make little versions. It's just a giant it puppet. I, I can't even imagine the armature for that. It must have been huge. I know. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, that, that must have taken so much time, so much money. They were even talking about in the behind the scenes that they had to spend hours all day, just all day working on one shot, one scene, because back then they're like, if you walked away, you, you would have to start over because it's like, you're not going to remember where you left off. So you had to do everything in that one sitting and that they would just work straight through the night sometimes just to finish a scene because they're like, if we, if we set this down now, there's no coming back to it tomorrow. And that's just wild to me. One of the notes I took, I, again, I'd never noticed this before. It's very odd. In, in the drugstore where Felix works, at one point his manager is like, you have so much stuff to do. You have to, you know, make the coffee and blah, blah, blah. And you must attend to those Fetzers. And then he points to a stack of boxes and on the boxes it says Fetzers. And I was like, what on earth is a Fetzer?" And I looked it up. And it's an old term for a complicated object with no discernible purpose. It's like a MacGuffin oh or something like that. It's like a word that doesn't mean anything. Which is an odd joke. It's very strange. It's really funny, but like, I did not get that. No, no, <laughs> why? Um, another thing about the film, which is baffling, is the title of the film is Mad Monster Party? Because it yes, has a question, question mark. mark in it. 
And I I really don't know why. I guess it's supposed to be, is it really a party or is it more like a war or something? I don't know. Yes. But it, it's, 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 it's weird. It totally is. It's weird. Yes. It's funny because it, it really isn't a party. So I was going to point this out too. It really isn't a party because they get invited to go there to see the reveal of this object. And then like later, Boris von Frankenstein tells his nephew Felix Oh, yeah, I'm like the head of the monsters, and they're the committee, they're the board. And it's like, wait, since when? Uh, th- uh, I thought this uh, was just you inviting your friends over to show them your cool new invention, but now you're saying that you're the head of, like, some sort of LLC what? monster yeah. corporate? Like, what what? He, call, he specifically calls it Monsters, Inc. I'm like, oh, oh interesting. <laughs> Someone else taking <laughs> notes, maybe? <laughs> See, I'm telling you, like, I feel like this is one of those, like, quiet, like, especially now that, you know, underground film that nobody really knew about. And then other people got inspired from him. And they're like, what if we just kind of, like, took this idea and ran with it? There's something the movie does a lot, which is during these very drawn out scenes where nothing in particular is happening. I wouldn't know what to do with music as a composer. I wouldn't know what to do, but I don't think the decision that was made is very good, which is they just play this very kind of obnoxious swing music or it's not swing it's like it's got these horns and it's very like jazzy and like bam 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 it's like james bond music but the characters aren't doing anything and it just sucks the life out it's like why is the music so up tempo when nothing's happening it's funny because i'm pretty sure it's like the opening song just minus the lyrics and when the opening song played i was like oh this is a great song so good but then they they reused it for every single scene and i was like oh (laughs) they really like the song (laughs) i wanted to check the opening song is sung by i think ethel ennis who is who is called the first lady of jazz i didn't look up what that means but it sounds like she was a big deal and it's cool that they got her to sing it it sounds like a very like James Bondy like sixties kind of song. It's pretty good. And then yeah, they just reused the instrumental. I think some of the songwriting of this is is some of Rankin Bass's worst stuff. And I love their composer Maury Laws. He's amazing in some of their other films. Like he does stuff with like like these reoccurring melodies that he'll bring up throughout the picture that come from some of the songs. He's especially Santa Claus is coming to town, he's on fire. But he's not always on fire, and I think this is an example where maybe it was just too long, and they were just tired, and they didn't know where to put their time. I have to ask you, what made you choose this movie to talk about for the podcast? Um, I think about it a little too much. I think about this film <laughs> so much because I'm very inspired by it, because it's, it's an example of Rankin-Bass doing their Rankin-Bass aesthetic, but not doing a Christmassy thing. Which is something, that is what inspired me to kind of do my Rankin-Bass imitations. Not this film in particular, a different film called uh, Nutcracker Fantasy, which is not by Rankin-Bass, but it's done by the same animators, so it essentially looks like Rankin-Bass. And it's, um, it's a Japanese adaptation, The Nutcracker, and it's very... It like goes in a slightly different direction. It's just very cool to take this style, but do something different with it than Rudolph. And so I like that part of Mad Monster Party. I think it's gorgeous throughout. The set design is so detailed compared to their other films. I think they just had more money. Um, but I'm also fascinated by it because despite as gorgeous as this, as much as I like the designs, I don't think it's good at all. And I think it's a really hard watch. And that fascinates me because I'm like, what went wrong? I need to like study this because it's like I'm terrified of making something this boring. 
It's funny because I was actually going to ask you next what your what your inspiration was, and uh, you know, with with Rankin Bass, like what what is it that attracted you to that? Because anybody who's seen your stuff online, you know, it's I, I gotta say when this film started again because I've never seen Rankin Bass before. When it started, I was like, oh my god, I can <laughs> I can see it, I can see it. You do such a brilliant job at taking the Rankin Bass style, both with like how the characters look, their style, you know, the, the character design, and then how they move, how they act, like, even like with film grade, like everything. I'm just like, wow, okay, this looks like one-to-one. So it's just so impressive. And I was curious if you could talk more about that. I keep, I think, thousands of screenshots from Rank of Best Films at the ready, and I use them constantly when I'm, when I'm doing my imitations. And the film I think I come back to the most for reference is Mad Monster Party because I think it's their best looking film. Oh, wow. I, I, again, I'm assuming just because it's it's more big budget and this has like, you know, a, it's longer. And so they put a lot more time into the sets. Rankin Bass sets are typically very simplistic. Well, the sets in this are really detailed. Like there's like there's like little skulls in the ground and like the, the, the trees, the foliage is very complicated. And I love the character design so much. So I come back to this one a lot for visual inspiration. We didn't talk at all about Boris's song, Stay One Step Ahead, which comes out of oh nowhere. I feel, like, yes. I feel like we shouldn't talk about it because it's like it's 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 completely unrelated to everything else that happens. And his introduction to it is so wild because he's just Felix is just like, I don't know if I want to take over. And Boris is like, let me let me tell you something. And then he picks up a guitar and it's like, no, no, please don't. Please don't, don't do this. And they just start playing Stay One Step Ahead. Yes. Okay. No, we do have to talk about that because I was trying to explain the movie to my husband after I finished watching it. And I was like, (laughs) okay, so Boris Karloff's character picks up like a bone banjo. And when Felix says, I don't think I want to take this job, his response is in song form. You know, you got to stay ahead compared to the other guy who will get ahead on you if you don't get ahead on him, essentially. Like, you got to stay one step ahead. And I'm like, that's that's how you're going to convince him is just be like, you gotta, you gotta be one step above the rest. And I'm like, what? You could have said anything. Else. And, it, and it's an incredibly repetitive song where Boris will give like a, maybe two second verse of just like saying maybe five words. And that goes back into this very repetitive, like chorus of all these voices going, stay step ahead. Gonna stay one step ahead. Tune into what's happening, boy. And stay one step ahead. And there's the tune in thing. They try and play on that with them, like watching TV and some of the monsters that show up kind of like, look kind of like televisions or something. It's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's not a very good argument to take <laughs> over an entire monster business either. No. <laughs> not convincing at all. No. Not like, oh, you'll get good health benefits and you'll get to be like king of the monsters. No, it's just stay one step ahead. Don't you want to be like better than everybody and stay one he- one step ahead? Alrighty. Well, I know we could just keep talking about what we absolutely love and what we're absolutely confused about with this film. But that is it for this episode of A Jaunty Haunt. Thank you so, so much for joining us and talking about this film and sharing all your insights and inspirations and thoughts. It was just absolutely wonderful having you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm always glad to talk about Rankin Bass. <laughs> well, where can our wonderful listeners find you? Um, I'm, I'm everywhere as at Worthy Kids. I'm on YouTube at Worthy Kids and Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, W-O-R-T-H-I-K-I-D-S. 
Well, thank you so much again. And hopefully we can have you back on in the future and chat more about spoopy things. Yes, hopefully something better than Mad Monster Party. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this thrilling, chilling episode of A Jaunty Haunt. If you would like to submit a ghost story, send an email to a jaunty haunt podcast at gmail.com for a chance of having it read on the show. Or you can follow A Jaunty Haunt on Twitter for the latest updates on the podcast. For all things witchy, follow me on Instagram at Eidolon's Kingdom. That's E-I-D-O-L-O-N-S underscore K-I-N-G-D-O-M, where you can also find a link in my bio for tarot readings and other witchy services. You can check out my art on Instagram at Eidolon Knight for art and more. That's E-I-D-O-L-O-N underscore N-I-G-H-T. Huge thank you to Brie Paulson for creating the theme for Jaunty Haunt. Beware and take care.